Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 11.0, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 99.1, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. And good morning. I'm Karen Moscow, along with Tom Keen and Michael McKee. The opening bell brought to you by SEI. Imagine when investment operations predictively respond to regulatory change. See how SEI's global operating platform can be your catalyst for business transformation at SEIC.com slash imagine. S&P 500 down four-tenths percent at the open, down seven points to 2039. Dow Jones Industrial Average down three-tenths percent or 54 points to 17,471. The NASDAQ down half percent or 22 points to 4716. 10-year Treasury up 132nd. The yield 1.85%. Yield on the two-year 0.88%. NYMEX crude oil down 2.1% or a dollar one to 47.18 a barrel. COMEX gold down 2.2% or $27.60 at 1246.90 an ounce. The euro a dollar 1203. The yen 109.94. Tom and Mike. Karen, thank you so much. It is a perfect time to talk to Rocky Fishman with a name like that. You'd think he was outside linebacker for Harvard football a few years ago. No, he was buried in computer science, in mathematics, and then on to Columbia, and now joining, uh, enjoying the lack of volatility at Deutsche Bank in equity derivatives. Um, Stanley Fisher, in an incredibly important speech this morning for economics and mathematics at, um, at, uh, uh, Columbia, in honor of Michael Woodford. When you were Columbia MBA, did you have an opportunity to sit in with any of Michael Woodford's lectures in economics? No, unfortunately, I didn't. The, the, he's very math-based, and it's it's a lot of squishy stuff, Euler functions and multivariable dynamics within a given equation. In the trenches of Wall Street, like where Rocky Fishman's working, are you more confident in your mathematics now post-crash than you were before crash? Look, I think that um, market analysis is really a combination of, of math and uh, analytics and also just understanding all of the dynamics and investor flows, investor psychology. And I think that there's a lot more to the markets than um, just the analytics. Um, so it's really a combination of, of understanding the views, the, the investor types that are in the marketplace. Um, so it, I'd say it's not just that you know, analytics and math is, is part of the story, but really it's, it's about understanding investor types at this point. You know, I, I, I look at the mathematics, and we work within all of our derivatives, all of our Wall Street, John Tucker's 201K, everything that's out there within a bell curve, within what's within Black-Scholes, the probability distribution, a Gaussian distribution. You and I know, and our listeners know, that's not the real world. How do you take Michael Woodford, or for that matter, Stanley Fisher or Myron Scholes models and drag them into your day-to-day work if we know the bell curve is not reality? Yeah, I mean, derivatives models are really a language that people are using to understand what the prices of derivatives are telling us about potential ways that markets could behave in the future. So one thing we've seen is that skew and option markets has picked up. That's something that's just a byproduct of option pricing formulas like Black-Scholes. But what it's really telling us is that there's fear that there may be investor types that are more prone to sell um, when markets start to sell off. Um, Well, maybe skew shows the emotion of the market. 
market. And folks, this is a lot of fancy mumbo jumbo about variants, about skew, about a thing called kurtosis and the rest of it. But can you work within the Rocky Fishman world, given the distortion of negative rates, low rates, flat, flat, flat curves and all? Or do you walk in the door every day and go, wait, this is totally artificial? Well, it's a new world. Every day, every year that we have in the market, the drivers of what can cause market volatility are changing. And all of the derivative pricing models are telling us is that there are ways to understand this. There are, there are you know, patterns that we might expect to see. Volatility mm-hmm. itself has been moving faster this year and in the last couple what of years than it did. It. So the VIX was in the 20s for a good chunk of this <clears> year. <throat> I mean, it was in, got below 13 recently. It's been very range bound recently. And, we see from the prices of options on the VIX, we see from the way that people are trading options that that's not going to continue forever. There are periods when volatility can get very high, periods when volatility can get very low, and we're able to switch regimes faster now than okay, we were in the past. Br- brilliantly said, but to, you know, we follow the VIX like it's a litmus paper. I understand it's asymmetric, and there's a huge debate about the, the CBOE volatility index. Within that, is it acting in a normal way, or does it suggest instabilities or distortions within the equity and the greater finance system? It's an impossible question to answer. I mean, there are factors that are driving the, the system. It's not that they're necessarily distortions, more than there always are. Um, I think that the presence of the central banks is very important, um, especially for fixed income markets. The impact of interest rates on the equity markets is something that um, we're all waiting to see. I mean, right now, as much as we feel like interest rate markets um, have some players that are not typically present in them at the size that they are, right now that impact on equity markets hasn't really been pronounced. Um, but you know, once when you see moments like yesterday when interest rates are moving up quickly, equity markets are dropping in, in unison with it. That does say that there's the potential for those types of factors to um, drive markets in unusual directions. So you observed yesterday relatively normal correlations. I thought equities would be down more, frankly, but they weren't. I mean, the reality is that most of the time when interest rates are going up, equities are going up also. And when it's the Fed is on the headlines, that's when that correlation reverses direction. So really the just the, the sign of the correlation, whether equities are going up or down when interest rates right. are going up is something that can change based on the stories in the market. Uh, negative 77 right now on the Dow, 17,451. Rocky's looking at my Bloomberg terminal, the VIX, 16.61. As a general statement, do you have an enthusiasm about equities when you take fundamental research and drag it into your derivatives and math world? I mean, I think that the marketplace is – consistently skeptical about huge wall of worry right now. Yeah. yeah massive wall of worry right and yet at the same time equities are not that far from their highs in at least in the US other regions are different and We've been able to trade in a pretty contained range over the last couple of months, um, despite news flow that might indicate that people should be worried. I think that people have to always be evaluating equities versus other asset classes, other investment possibilities, and U.S. equities have typically Mm -hmm. stacked up well recently. Can you game when you leave a range? Can Can you get out front of that, or do you just have to wait to observe it ex post? It's really hard to know when we can exit these ranges. Last summer, we had 
the six-month period when the S&P was just about as range-bound as it had ever been, and there were really no indications that the break of it was coming. It happened yeah. in August during a quiet time of the year. You know, yeah. Uh, why you can you make a note that Mr. Fishman can come back because he's actually telling us the truth, unlike a lot of people. Oh, yeah, we knew. We saw that coming. The answer is you don't see it coming. Right. You know? I mean, the one thing that we have seen more and more is that when you do break out of a range, it can happen surprisingly quickly. That's part of the story of being able to shift market environments very quickly. Volatility. Do you see that in the forward space or do you see that in the spot space at the media courts all the time? Well, there are indications in the option markets that that might continue to be the case. Um, The price of options on the VIX itself, the skew, um, the difference between put and call prices on the S&P, the term structure of volatility, which is how much more people are willing to pay for long-dated options versus short-dated options. What does that say quickly? What does that say right now? What's the forward market tell you in the VIX? Well, I think it expresses further concern that if volatility conditions change, they can change quickly. Okay. Rocky Fishman with us. A bit confusing. We'll come back and translate this into the Greek, and after that, we'll go to English. John Tucker demands that we do that. I got my Rosetta Stone. Yeah, exactly. Go. Well, we got we got Rocky Fishman, Rosetta Stone here to uh, get through the derivative uh, work. He is with Deutsche Bank. We're thrilled that he's with us today. Of course, more importantly, after what we observed yesterday afternoon, which is, uh, Mr. Fishman said, was quite a pop in the bond market. Yield 1.85%. Uh, the market negative 60, 17,460. And now to the news in New York with an update on Egypt Air. Here's Michael Barr. Tom, thank you very much. Egypt's civil aviation minister says his country is not ruling out any possibilities in the overnight crash of an Egypt Air plane into the Mediterranean. Sharif Fati also says that he'll use the term missing plane until debris is found. The 66 people aboard the Airbus A320 were flying from Paris to Cairo. Fatih, through a translator, talked about the 56 passengers on flight 804. 30 Egyptians, one British, one Belgian, two Iraqis, one Kuwaiti, 15 French, uh, with an infant, one Saudi, one Sudani, one Chadi, one Portuguese, one Algerian, and one Canadian. Greece's defense minister says the plane made abrupt turns and suddenly lost altitude before entering Cairo's air traffic control space. Heavy rains are continuing to pound central Sri Lanka, where at least three villages already have been swallowed by the landslides. At least 18 people are known to have been killed, and hundreds are reported missing. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike Tom. And Michael, thanks so much. This hour of Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Volvo Cars White Plains. Visit VolvoCarsWhitePlains.com. The Dow, negative 55, 17,471. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Surveillance brought to you by Bank of America, Merrill Lynch's global cash management solutions, helping you manage, protect, and invest your global cash wherever the road to growth leads. That's the power of global connections. Bank of America, North America, member FDIC. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. 
And I'm Karen Moscow. Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond President Jeffrey Lacker said a June interest rate increase by the U.S. Central Bank is in order with global risks having entirely dissipated. If we did come in with data that along the lines we're expecting, a pickup growth in the second quarter, inflation kind of remaining where it is now and maybe advancing further towards 2%, you know, measured by the PCE index. Um, I think that um, I think the case would be very strong for raising rates in June as well. And that's Lacker speaking in an interview heard on Bloomberg surveillance. And U.S. stocks, meanwhile, are slipping with energy producers following oil and other commodity prices lower as investors brace for a possible Federal Reserve interest rate increase as early as next month. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P 500 down three tenths percent or six points to 2041. Dow Jones Industrial Average down three tenths percent or 56 points to 17,468. The Nasdaq down a quarter percent or 11 points to 47.27. Ten-year Treasury up 3.30 seconds. The yield 1.84 percent. The yield on the two-year 0.87 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 2.1 percent or a dollar two to 47.17 a barrel. COMEX gold down 2.1 percent or 26 dollars 60 cents to 12.47.80 an ounce. The euro a dollar 12.03. The yen 109.90. We're watching shares of Walmart up nine percent after. After its first quarter results beat analyst estimates, tamping down fears the retail industry is mired in a slump. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thanks so much. I know gold really moving negative 27, 1248 the ounce, some form of a technical point, maybe $20, $30 below that. 1248 the ounce, down $26 on gold. Bloomberg Surveillance this morning brought to you by Interactive Brokers, Traders University, even experienced traders. Need to keep learning. Traders University will get you up to speed quickly. With short videos, webinars, and courses, and more, visit ibkrb.com slash stay ahead. Um, again, in New York today, the celebration of Vice Chairman of the Fed, Stanley Fisher, in honor of Michael Woodford. Uh, he has been on the show before, as Professor Woodward, uh, with his classic interest in prices. And in the wonderful Fisher speech, which I put out on Twitter a bit ago, are the three equation foundations of Professor Woodward's work. I'm not going to bore you uh, with Euler functions and the dynamics here, other than to say the simplest equation is inflation is basically where inflation is now plus the expectation of where inflation will be, which leads us to Rocky Fishman's world of mathematics at Deutsche Bank, where he works in equity strategy. <laughs> Do we have the same confidence looking out into the future? that we did in 2006. Is there a new humility in your world? I mean, when Michael Woodford wrote that equation, there was an expectation with sort of a certitude, we know what we're doing. We're more humble now. How far out do you look in your modeling? I mean, we look at the equity derivatives markets and very short-dated um, options, you can have a better sense of what's on the horizon. And then the options market starts to just assume a, just a general level of uncertainty that becomes greater as time goes on. It's a reason why option prices start to price in more risk as options become longer and longer dated and not because of a specific risk. Right now, in the short-dated options market, there are specific events in June that investors have become very interested in. But as option expirations get longer and longer right. dated, it just becomes a general uncertainty. Options have an advantage, which is you know what your downside is. You have a limited defined negative, 
cost of the option, and there's some other themes off that. Futures, that's not the case. In in days long gone, you paid a premium for that option because it would tell you what your downside was. Is that premium still there? I mean, it, the options market's become so big. Is it is it equivalent to future dynamics and price? Well, yeah. I mean, option markets allow you to focus on a specific date in the future, and you're paying a bit of extra premium for an option because it's still of there. The, yeah, it's there, and the more longer dated you go, the more that premium tends mm-hmm. to be out there. So very long-dated options right. price in a, a lot of risk that you could have a very significant change in the environment over the next, right. let's say, two years. Did years. you ever read Fooled by Randomness, Taleb? Um, I haven't read it. Oh, no. you have to read it. Oh, my word. It's the only – I've only forced my kids to read two books. One was Fooled by Randomness by Taleb. I said it's – it'll explain why your father's a nutcase. And, and the other is uh, Henry Kissinger's World Order, which is really sobering uh, in, in a very controversial uh, way. In Fooled by Randomness, which he's writing about guys like you on a desk, he pays homage to making small bets out into the future. Uh, what I call it is the sizing of the trade. And what amateurs always do is they make too big of a bet as a general statement. How do you respond to Taleb's idea of making your belief but taking many small bets out into the future? Well, investors have to really focus on what their needs are when they're making option bets. I mean, many investors will look at a core position that will, let's say, protect them in most types of bad scenarios, but then look at the types of things that could happen. And the the, the markets allow for very tailored um, positions based on specific macroeconomics. I'm like a lawyer. I knew what your answer would be, which would get me to what I really want to know, which is um, uh, defendant, uh, let, let, let me explain this as best as I can. If that's the, what you're doing, tailoring bets, are you now in a position where there's too many exogenous shocks and too much noise out there where it's harder to make your future bets? Well, there are generic future bets that will cover most types of scenarios. I mean, the S&P is a very broad-based equity market. Um, that's something that if you're protecting against an S&P decline or if you're protecting against global equities, those become very broad-based bets. If you're looking at specific strike levels, if you're looking at specific um, interplays, of currencies and equities, mm-hmm. those can be much more tailored. <clears throat> Rocky, put your headphones on. Back with us, Michael McKee, uh, after his interview with Jeffrey Lacker this morning. Michael, we're with Rocky Fishman of Deutsche Bank and Equity Derivatives. Uh, we've been talking Gaussian mode and skewness. Is that okay, Mike? Yeah, that's fine. Um, I don't know that he has a, a, a view on um, the Penguins lightning, but uh, we could do that. I don't know if you can take out a derivative on that one. <laughs> you can't take out a derivative uh, on that one. Everybody's got too many injuries. Michael, you, a, question, a question, please, for uh, Mr. Las Fisher. Vegas. Well, I'm just wondering what people think these days. If, if the options market is telling a, a different story than what the Fed and the bond market are suggesting about global risks, about the risks of interest rates, whether we're seeing investors who are looking for protection, looking for something uh, different than than what we're hearing from the central bank now. Well, we, we do see interest in products that have a 
specific relationship between equities and interest rates. And typically, there tends to be more interest in the scenario in which interest rates are falling and equities are falling also. But there is also the story that maybe, like we saw yesterday, if the Fed becomes more hawkish, that could be negative for equities. Um, and that's a story that we well, feel like is not priced sufficiently in the equity markets. Has has it changed? Has what people are buying changed? In other words, can the derivatives market give us any kind of uh, pointer as to the direction that investors think? Are, are investors getting ahead of the Fed, or are they behind this now? I'd say that right now, investors who are looking at true cross-asset trades are not focused a lot on the scenario that a hawkish Fed could be very negative for equities. So I would say that that's a story that's an opportunity for investors who really do believe that the Fed could be too hawkish. Maybe that says people yeah. don't expect the Fed to be that impactful on equities. Rocky, thank you so much. Rocky Fishman with us. I love when you show up. We get a little mathy here. Uh, Mr. Fishman is with Deutsche Bank uh, working in uh, derivatives and particularly in the equity market. Mike, a headline coming out, which I'll be honest, I don't know how to translate, but I think it's so interesting and important that I'm going to go with it. Our Liz Kishay, uh reporting, the SEC is named Philip Mickelson a relief defendant in a trading case. That's all I have. I believe this is Phil Mickelson, the golfer. In a it rich- is Phil Mickelson, the golfer. Yeah. He's been involved in an insider trading case against the former chairman of Dean Foods. Yes, Tom uh, Davis. And a gambler with whom uh, Phil Mickelson is uh, a friend of this gambler who, in theory, yeah. passed along information, insider information to Phil Mickelson. Yeah, just and breaking. So, uh, just he bre- has, he's denied it. Here's the text completely, and you have it correct, Mike. Mickelson cited in regulators' insider trading case against Dean Foods ex-chairman Tom C. Davis and gambler William Walters as well. So, uh, Mr. Mickelson, it's been in the news, but there it is. It's a sobering headline. SEC names Philip Mickelson relief defendant in trading, uh, case. McKee driving equities lower with his lacquer interview. Uh, negative 120 on the Dow, 17,406 of VIX elevated by a full 1.13 points, 17.08. Yields coming back in after higher yields this morning. 1.83 now on the 10-year in a full two basis points as well. Most interesting, a dollar stronger, yen uh, and euro churning weaker, I will call it, um, a turn of the market. But really the focal point now on equities down 126.17,400. Michael, safe travels, please, uh, from Washington in your interview with uh, President uh, Lacker. We'll have much, much more through the day. And, of course, stay with us. Uh, worldwide on Bloomberg Radio for further news is France and Egypt. Uh, consider the plane crash of Egypt Air, uh, north of Egypt and south of the Greek islands. From New York, this is Bloomberg Surveillance. <laughs> 